You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her money is made possible with help from Fidelity Investments. Together, we realize the importance of financial education and want to make sure that women like us are taking part in the conversation, like talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her money is brought to you by PRX. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Welcome to Her Money. We are not in our typical home today. We're actually downtown. We're here at Broadway and 9th Street. I lived very close to here one summer when I was in college, and it always is nice to come back down. But we're here because we're at the headquarters of AOL and the Huffington Post, and we're invited in to talk with Ariana Huffington about her new book, The Sleep Revolution. Sleep is so important. And I, I dove into this book over the weekend, reading it from my bed and, and learning so much about how our lives, financial and otherwise, are tied into not just the quantity of our sleep, but the quality of our sleep. So we are going to help you improve yours with this conversation. Thank you for having us here, and thank you for being on the show. I'm so happy to be on the show with you. It's been a while. It's been 10 years. I I don't know if yes, it's been... Uh, has it been 10 oh, years? Mm-hmm. 2006. Wow. Wow. Well, you look fantastic <laughs> and, so and the same, and congratulations on The Sleep Revolution, the new book. Thank you so much. It's. I spent the weekend diving into it, and it's fascinating. In part, our audience is women. This is a podcast for women, by women, about money. But women are more chronically sleep-deprived, according to the book, than men. Can you talk about that? Yes. What's happening is that because we, as women, internalize stress differently, it's harder for us to turn off our brains and be able to sleep. And... um The statistics are pretty amazing. You know, women in stressful jobs have a 40% greater incidence of heart disease and a 60% greater risk of diabetes. So that's a lot of warning for us about how we need to deal with stress differently. And stress and sleep are very intimately connected. And that's why I say that a good day starts the night before and a good night starts the minute we wake up. And uh, that's why I I urge everyone, as I finally did, and, you know, let me just say from the outset that I've done everything wrong. So I I came to these realizations the hard way. It's not like I I was um Well, you had a wake-up right. call. I had a painful that... wake-up call when I collapsed from sleep deprivation exhaustion and um, broke my cheekbone on the way down. And I'm now incredibly grateful for this wake-up call because, honestly, I think I would have either ended up with a heart attack or dead. And we see how last year, you know, the casualties of a sleep-deprived, burnt-out way of living um, have been proliferating. And um, we had, you know, the CEO of United collapsing on his treadmill with a heart attack, the CEO of BMW collapsing on stage. So we are beginning to be more aware of the price we are paying. But for women, we always feel that somehow we have to prove ourselves even more in the workplace. And at home. And at home. When you're you're a woman in the workplace, 
we know that you don't give up the housework. You don't delegate the extra chores. You just come home and you do everything. And that makes life so much harder. Exactly. And then, the, so the first thing we sacrifice is sleep because it seems like the one negotiable. And that's why I sort of want to urge everybody listening not to jump to the second part of the book, which is the tips and techniques and the tools, how to get a good night's sleep, but to read it in order because the science that is in the first part convinces you why you have to prioritize sleep. You know, if you're not truly convinced why it matters, not just for our health, which is more obvious, but for our performance and our productivity and our happiness, if we're not fundamentally convinced, it's going to be much harder for us to change our habits. We want to be educating this audience to be working up to their capacity to feel productive, to feel like they're thriving, to use your word. And sleep seems to be so much a part of that. And yet we admire people who don't need a lot yes, of sleep. exactly. So that's really the problem, that we are swimming in a culture that um, basically devalues sleep, where men especially, but increasingly women who are competing in the, in the male-dominated workplace, wear their sleep deprivation like a badge of honor. Now, things are changing, but our goal with the sleep revolution is to accelerate a change that's already happening. And the reason things are changing is because of the casualties I mentioned, which are also reflected in higher healthcare costs and uh, less uh, engagement and productivity at work. So it's kind of ironic that while uh, we work longer hours than ever before, um, we actually have lost last year 11 days in productivity. You know, I'm listening to you talk about this. And, and as I was reading the book, I caught the name Dr. Michael Roizen. And I just finished writing a book with Dr. Roizen about the intersection of health and wealth. How and wonderful. It's not out until 2017, but sleep plays a big factor in it. Stress plays a big factor in it. And employers are starting to understand how if a person is not well financially, well in a physical way, how that impacts them. People are taking an interest in the workplace because the employers feel like they're losing. And you quantify it. You said that the cost of sleep lost in productivity is about $2,300 a year per person. I know. And you know, one of the pioneers in changing that is um, the CEO of Aetna, the third largest health insurance company, Mark Bertolini, who now introduced a program very recently where he's, he gives his employees Fitbits and he asks them to track their sleep if they want, if they opt in. And uh, those who sleep seven hours or more get $25 a, a night. A night? Yeah. So the point is here is that it's not the money that's so important, but the message that it stands that your CEO, you know, the top of the company asks you to prioritize sleep because it's going to have an impact on your health and on your productivity. So it's really about the culture shift that we're talking about. You've done the same thing. You've put napping pods in the office here. They look a little like one of those chairs out of Sleeper, right? Yeah, exactly. Woody Allen movie. Metro naps. Yeah. We have um, a very futuristic napping room, and then we have a conventional one with a bed, and you can choose what you want. Which do people choose? 
You know what? At the moment, of, sometimes they have no choice because they are continuously full, these two nap rooms. <laughs> <laughs> when we first opened them, there was kind of a stigma associated, but now we've made it so clear that employees are encouraged to go have a nap if they are tired rather than have a fifth cup of coffee or an energy drink or a third donut or all the things that we go to when our bodies crave some way for us to keep going. I am not a good napper. How do you train yourself to be able to nap if you're one of those people who can't nap? Well, first of all, you never need to nap if you've gotten a full night's sleep. A nap is there available to you on the nights when you haven't been able to get a good night's sleep because you have a sick child, because you're jet-lagged, with the best intentions of and life intervenes. And then Try and have a nap as, as soon as you can. So the way to nap, if, if it's hard for you, is to, for me, is to listen to a meditation, even if you don't meditate. <laughs> I tried meditation. I went to a meditation class. I fell asleep. Amazing. That's fantastic. Well, I no, I mean, I felt really guilty that no, this woman was trying to all. teach us how to meditate, and, and I was I kept dozing that off. That means you had a sleep deficit. Anytime, I mean, when I was sleep-deprived before I collapsed, you put me in any darkened auditorium, a movie house, a concert hall, and I would be asleep within seconds. My friends were making fun of me. They were wondering why I bother to go to, <laughs> why, because I was so sleep deprived. My body was trying to catch up. So I think you should take that as an indicator and, um, and not worry about it at all. And I, I find that even if you don't meditate yourself, I have an index in the book of an appendix of 12 of my favorite meditations to listen to, including one that my sister and I wrote specifically to put you to sleep. And uh, she is the one narrating it on the, on my book website, which is arianahuffington.com, so anybody can go there and download it. And um, she sounds just like me, so, so Jean, you're going to feel like I'm putting you to sleep, which is just <laughs> fine. Uh, but my point is that I have a couple of these meditations that I've never listened to the end because they're so soothing for me. So you'll see which one does it for you. And then and then you'll just start using it. That makes yeah. that makes sense. I, I wanted to ask about working from home because I was struck in the book that you talk about how working from home can lead to additional productivity. And that it's felt that way for me simply because when I'm working from home, I'm not commuting two hours a day. Yes, I think it's not commuting. And often it means that if you are disciplined about not having your devices um, distract you all the time, then you can really have that truly undistracted, uninterrupted time to write a book, to write an article, to do your bills, whatever it is. Um, there's, as you know, a whole part of the book about our relationship with technology. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to set boundaries because technology is amazing, but it can also completely invade our lives and take over and make it much harder to go to sleep. That's why of all the tips and techniques in the book, the most important is to create a transition to sleep. And the transition has to start with turning off all devices and, 
escorting them out of your bedroom. A half hour before sleep. Let's get to some of those tips. But before we do that, let's just take a quick break. Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Fidelity is focused on helping women like us, like me, like you, like Ariana, take charge of our financial lives. We all deserve to live the lives we've worked so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time where you'll find more conversations like this, information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, divorced, or starting a new career. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. So we're back with Ariana Huffington, and we're talking about mastering sleep. And you have a whole wonderful toolkit in the second half of the book, The Sleep Revolution. You say get off technology before you go to sleep and that you've got to get the technology out of your bedroom. Does that include the television? No, you know, if you have a TV in your bedroom, that's fine. Just don't watch it before you go to sleep. And how about the Kindle? If you're reading on a Kindle, does that count so the as Kindle reading? Kindle is much better than the iPad, but there's something absolutely wonderful about reading physical books in bed. One of the things I love about it, and incidentally, I only read books that have nothing to do with work, like novels or poetry or philosophy or spiritual books. And what I love, and actually I would consider it a personal victory if anybody's reading The Sleep Revolution in bed and it puts them to sleep. <laughs> but what I love is is actually reading the book and then kind of, you know, sometimes you begin to get sleepy and letting it fall on the floor, which you can't do with your Kindle. No. And it's just that feeling of letting go, which is just wonderful, because that's really what often stops us from falling asleep. We're still clinging to the day. We are clinging to our incompletions. And anybody who has a remotely interesting job has incompletions at the end of the day. Do you remember the last time you did absolutely everything you could have done? No, but how do you (laughs) get rid of those incompletions so that they're not in your mind as you're thinking about them in the middle of the night? That's the key question. So we need to have a process of winding down the brain. It doesn't happen um, immediately. You can't be going at 100 miles an hour and then come to a screeching halt. I mean, even when you're working on your treadmill, you know, you have a cool-down period. Right. So my cool-down period, as I said, starts with removing the devices and then having a hot bath. Because for me, the bath... If you don't like baths, a shower, just anything where the water in a way soaks away the day. It's like it washes away the day. It gets your brain to move to a different modality. And it really happens. I can feel it happening. Um, if I'm in, if I'm feeling particularly stressed or worried about something, I prolong the bath. I always put Epsom salts, which are wonderful feeling. And flickering candles are right. So I create my own little mood. And also, if you are a multitasker, and a lot of women always try to do two things at once, I have like a little tray by my bathtub that has all my makeup removers <laughs> and my toothbrush and everything. So I do my whole night routine while you're in the while bath. I'm in the bath. And somebody just explained to me a couple weeks ago that actually bathing or showering at night, because I've always been a showering in the morning kind yes. of person, is much more uh, productive than showering in the morning because you're clean much longer. Because if you shower in the morning, you get dressed, you go out into the city, and all of a sudden, all that clean is kind of gone. I think I love that. I, I sometimes like to shower in the morning too, which is fine, just because also at night you 
process a lot of things and you wake up and you want to start the day fresh. But, you know, a shower can in the morning can take like four minutes. It doesn't have to be a long affair. Okay, so we've got our bath. We've gotten rid of our technology. We're giving the Kindle a break, maybe yeah. reading from some books. But before we get into bed, um, what are we wearing in bed? If you like to sleep naked, fine, no problem. But... I used to sleep in my gym clothes. Well, I do that when I travel. I, I sleep in my gym clothes because that way I don't have to pack pajamas and I but can just get up and go to the gym. You don't have to pack pajamas. You can just pack a different nightshirt that takes really no room. But it has to be something that you are never going to wear to the gym. Why? Because your brain gets conflicting messages. Are we going to the gym or are we slowing down? And and everything I'm saying is scientifically proven. There is nothing that I'm just coming up with. And I, it's made such a big difference for me um, to have, it's almost like a sleep costume. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it makes, it totally makes sense. I think uh, sometimes when I wake up in my gym clothes, particularly if I'm in a hotel and I'm thinking, do I really want to go to the gym? The fact that I'm already in them right. makes me go. But do you wake up with an alarm? I do wake up with an alarm. I set, well, I set my phone, which I have to get out of the bedroom. Right. So, um, first of all, even if your phone is out of the bedroom, I mean, I put an alarm on, but 95% of the time I wake up before my alarm. And that's an indication of whether you've slept enough. Most of the time I get up five minutes. I'm very good at knowing when my alarm is right. going to go off, and I usually jump the alarm by five minutes. But do you feel that you have, when you wake up, do you feel that you've gotten all the sleep you need? I usually, yeah. Great. I mean, That's I fantastic. go to sleep early. My issue with sleep is sometimes the glass of wine before sleep. How yes. bad is that? Well, does it wake you up in the middle of the night? If it's two glasses of wine, yes. it does. If it's one, it's no problem. So you see, you, you said something very important, which is that each one of us needs to become our own sleep scientist. And and look at what is it that gets in the way of sleep. The minute you prioritize sleep and you feel one glass of wine is fine, two glasses of wine is not, then you're not going to have that second glass of wine. Especially if you have to get up at a particular time. If you're on vacation and you can sleep it off by sleeping another hour, whatever it takes, fine. So that's what I love about the fact that we have all these tips and techniques in the book, but ultimately you need to try what is it, what is your golden ritual? Do you have a caffeine rule? You're drinking green tea as we talk, and Kelly, who um, works on this show, we stopped at Starbucks before we came over, and she said, I can't go here with a big iced coffee. I, I can't. I can't. Well, if it's decaffeinated. Well, no, it was not decaffeinated. Yeah. It was a big iced coffee. So, you know, my I I, I, I like to have... After 2 o'clock, I either have decaffeinated, or I have everything decaffeinated, decaffeinated teas or decaffeinated coffees. I love coffee and I love tea. And I always start my day with coffee. They say, again, the scientific data proves that after 2 p.m., if you still have caffeine in your body, it's going to be harder, again, to slow down and go to sleep. And you check it out. For you, it may be 3 p.m. You know, it's you You see what makes it work. But the important thing, you know, you have done such amazing work around investing and creating wealth. 
So investing in ourselves is like so key to everything. And in a sense, what we're talking about is sleep is, is a kind of foundational investment in ourselves. And I know from myself now that when I have gotten the sleep I need, which for me is eight hours, um, the universal scientific consensus is seven to nine hours. Again, you have to find out your sweet spot unless you are one of um, the 1% of mm-hmm. short sleepers. It's a genetic mutation. We can't train ourselves to be short sleepers. And they can get away with very little sleep without adverse consequences. It's fascinating. It's a wonderful, wonderful book, The Sleep Revolution. And it does feel, reading it, like you are investing in yourself. It feels yes. like you're prioritizing what you need and figuring that out. So thank and you then, for writing it. Thank you so much. And to make it clear, when you invest in yourself, you are then going to be better for everyone else around you. You know, your family, you know how cranky we get when we're sleep deprived. Yes. Um, your job, because you're going to be more creative, more productive, more able to look around the corners and see what's needed. And your own personal happiness. Not to mention your health, of course. That's the more obvious one. I want to ask you, why, Ariana, do you think there aren't more women running big companies like you do? I think there are three reasons. There are obviously still institutional barriers that we need to keep taking down all the time. But also, I think we women have this voice in our heads that I call the obnoxious roommate living in our heads that puts us down, that judges us, that doubts us. And so... If we make one mistake, we think that's the end. I mean, I've talked to women who are in sales or marketing and they have one bad meeting and they think they're going to be fired. And if they're sleep deprived, they think they're going to end up being a bag lady. (laughs) We are so tough on ourselves. We're so tough on ourselves. And men are not. I mean, men, I was talking to Andre Inguadola from the Golden State Warriors. And he was telling me I I was uh, playing golf with my wife. And I realize she's an amazing golfer, but the minute she misses something, she cannot stop judging herself. And then she kind of goes to the next uh, uh, part of the game and still she's thinking of what she missed instead of being present. And so that's just one example of what we do. And the, and the third thing is that a lot of women, um, have these great degrees, they have these great beginnings to their career, and then they drop out. And I feel when we change workplaces to make them more sustainable, to make them less fueled by burnout, we're going to have more women stay and reach the top rather than drop out in their 40s or 50s. And Sheryl Sandberg said for your book that before you lean in, you have to sleep in. Yes, I love that. She and I just did a a conversation last week at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. And I think it was very important for Cheryl and for me to make it very clear that there is no contradiction between leaning in as a woman and sleeping in, which basically means taking care of ourselves, making sure our lives are sustainable. Um, This is a false contradiction because sleep is the ultimate performance enhancer. No, no question. I have, I have given up 
the red eye, which I used to、oh, do all、I、the time,、that. and I've given it up because I'm just a waste the following day,、yes. and usually the day after that. I know, and therefore you think you're saving time. This is such a good example, and you're not. And also the number of people who say they take the red eye, and that means they have to take Ambien to go to sleep, and and there are so many natural alternatives that I write about in the book that. Sometimes we go immediately for the pill because we think it's the easy solution, and we don't have time to explore natural alternatives. But they are all there, and it's for the sake of our health and our happiness. Wonderful, wonderful words to take with us, Ariana Huffington. Thank you so much. Thank you. I loved being with you. Me too. And now we're going to move on to your questions. Kelly Hultgren is in the studio with me, as she is at this time every week. And we pulled your questions from Facebook and Twitter and email. And hi, Kelly. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm good. I'm、hi. good. What do you have? Our first question is actually a reply to a tweet you sent out, and it was a tweet encouraging freelancers and side giggers to factor in retirement. At Hiya Reviews asks, would you suggest doing that in lieu of a savings account or in conjunction with savings? So you need both, and and a savings account is actually for a different purpose. You need savings for two things: your emergencies and your short-term goals. And we know people in this country don't have enough in terms of emergency savings. It would be great if everybody could have. An emergency stash equal to three months' salary. If you are a two-income couple, and the logic there is that if one person loses their job, the other one will at least be able to pick up some of the slack. And six months if you're a one-income couple. But I gotta say, I would love to just see everybody have at least two thousand dollars because two thousand dollars can get you through a whole lot of different emergencies, and then you can replenish the pot. The other thing that you save for, rather than Invest for are any short-term goals. So, if you've got money, let's say, what are you saving for? A trip to the Caribbean. Okay. And when do you want to go? Tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Well, then you certainly do not want to be investing that money because any goals that are going to hit you in the face in a, a time frame of under three years, if the market takes tumble, you could lose too much of that money, and it would be hard to make up the. Losses in the time that you have remaining. So any short-term goals we save for, we don't invest for. But your longer-term goals and retirement comes into that longer-term category. We invest for because we need the growth in the market. We need our money to work for us. So my answer is you got to do both, and you want to try to split the difference. Okay. And our next question is on Facebook. Courtney writes, "I'm closing in on paying off my federal student loan." Woohoo! I know. I, I know. Have, we need party music for we need Courtney. Party music, yes. <laughs> and I have about eighteen hundred to go, and it will most likely take me two more years to pay it off. I am paying more on principal than interest. Should I use my tax return to pay it off? It depends what else you need that tax return for. It's great that you're paying more on principal than on interest, and it's. Great that you can see the end of the road, but I'd look at your other obligations. And right now, your student loan interest rate is probably still six to seven percent. If you invest the money, the chances that you could do better than that, particularly after the tax deduction on those student loans, if you get it, 
you're going to do better by investing the money, and I'd rather see you just continue to pay it off over the long term and maybe use that tax refund to boost the money that you're contributing to your IRA or your retirement fund. It would maybe high interest rate credit card debt or any credit card oh, debt sure. take priority over just getting rid of the student loan debt? Absolutely. What That's the way we look at all debts. You look at the interest rate you're paying because the return on your money is equal to that interest rate after the tax deduction. So if you've got credit card debt at 15%, paying that off before the student loan, that's a no-brainer. Last question is from Chastity. She emailed us at jeanchatsky.com. She writes that her husband is hiding online finances, and she would like your advice. It's really, really tough. And the fact that she knows that her husband is hiding money online leads me to think that there's nothing great going on in this relationship because she's been looking for this. A couple of things. It depends where you are thinking that this relationship is going. The first thing that I would do before I even confront him about this is get all of the paperwork together. You need to understand, because this is your money too, where it is. And and that means just printing out copies and probably keeping a separate set somewhere in case you lose the first set of what do we have? Where do we have it? What are the passwords? What are the dates associated with these balances? Then if this is a relationship where she believes that it is going to continue for the long term, maybe she thinks her husband is doing this because he wants to throw her a surprise party. I don't know. In the best of all possible worlds, her husband is doing this because he wants to throw her a surprise party. In the worst, he's doing it because he doesn't think the relationship is long for the world. You got to sit down and you got to have a conversation. And if you can't do it, just the two of you, bring in a compassionate third party. That could be a therapist. It could be a financial advisor. It could be an accountant. It could be a lawyer. You've got to clear the air on this and, and understand why. Sometimes I, I don't think it's wrong for individuals to want to have their own money. I think it's, I think it's fine. I think it's healthy. I think it's good that you have a stash of money that you control so that you don't have to ask anybody about making a purchase that means something to you, but maybe not to them. But it's not okay to do it surreptitiously because that's where relationships really fall apart. I was going to ask, like, what are some other signs or instances of financial infidelity? Because this is what this is. And so having your own account isn't financial infidelity. It's as not, long as you disclose it? Yeah, as long as everybody sort of knows the lay of the land, it's not financial infidelity. I mean, financial infidelity is – there's some very small – things that that fall under that heading you you know you you put on a dress in the morning and and your spouse says to you oh is that new and you say oh no this old thing you know <laughs> yeah. right and and you took it out of the bag yesterday right that could qualify as financial infidelity right. that's not what she's talking about here she's she's talking about hiding assets and it's tough to hide assets and there are people forensic accountants who specialize in finding hidden assets so that if you go through the process of a divorce and you think there's more money than is showing up, you can hire somebody to unearth these assets. And you should do that if if that is a fear of yours and you want to get a fair settlement. 
That is so cool. I didn't know forensic accountants existed. Forensic accountants, forensic, forensic, forensic anthropologists. There are all sorts of forensic professions. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And please tweet me your questions using the Her Money hashtag. It's hashtag Her Money Podcast. We're also on Facebook at Jean Chatsky and then also at jeanchatsky.com. Thanks. And now we're going to move on to our weekly Thrive segment today. Little something different here. We are thrilled to have Ariana back with us. The woman who literally wrote the book called Thrive is going to tell us how to thrive. I want to ask you about thrive and the concept of thriving. And your definition of, of thrive is, is interesting because you write that it's moving beyond the modern metrics of money, status, and power to include well-being, wisdom, wonder, and the power of giving. If you had to come up with three tips to help today's women thrive, what would they be? So um, the first one would be not to completely identify with our jobs. I think our jobs are incredibly important, but we are more than our jobs. And if we completely identify with our jobs, it's going to be much harder to bring perspective into our lives. And that's... One of the reasons why sleep is important is because it helps us recognize that there is another reality that we connect with when we're asleep, you know, through our dreams, even if we don't always remember them. And through the fact that, hey, we are unconscious for seven to nine hours a night, and then here we are awake again. There's kind of a mystery to all that. And I love the fact that I can recognize that I don't make everything happen in my life, that it's a dance between making it happen and letting it happen. And so that uh, recognition that there is more to our lives than our jobs and uh, our to-do lists is, is, is a great way to thrive and put things in perspective. The second thing that is foundational it's what they tell us on aeroplanes. Put your own oxygen mask first. That's particularly important for us women because we're always, we have been kind of trained uh, in terms of our evolution as yeah. well as our history to put our families, our jobs, our nonprofits, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely everything first. And when we put ourselves first, it's not like we're selfish. It just means that we prioritize um, our own investment. It's like we're investing in ourselves so that we can give to everything else in our lives from our abundance rather than from our lack. And, um, and that's why for me it's important to recognize that this investing in ourselves starts with us getting enough sleep. That's foundational. And, and the third thing is to... Stop believing that getting stuff done is enough. We need to also bring joy into what we're doing. Uh, because, again, we sometimes get so driven by um, what do we want to accomplish that we forget to remind ourselves what what we're grateful for, what brings us joy. So I think it's really key to remember that through, in the course of our day. Where do you find that joy? Well, I, I find that joy so much more easily when I'm fully recharged. I find that um, 
when I start my day fully recharged, you have that feeling of bring it on, whatever it is, whatever the challenges, because our lives are always full of challenges, even the most blessed life. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't really affect me. But if I'm sleep deprived, you look at me the wrong way (laughs) and I'll take it personally. So it's much harder to be joyful because we're really running on empty. And when you're running on empty, life becomes a struggle. And um, doing the same things is going to feel completely different. I'm here talking with you and I'm loving it. But if I was sleep deprived, I would see it as, oh, I have to do this and I have to cross it off my to-do list. How many times haven't you done the same thing and felt completely differently about it? I want to say thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. And again, let me just remind you, it is her money and her money is one word with Jean Chatsky. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity Investments. Our music is provided through Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. We'll be back next week with Karen Feinerman. You may know her from CNBC's Fast Money. They call her the chairwoman. She's also the author of the best-selling Feinerman's Rules, Secrets I'd Only Tell My Daughters About Business and Life. It's going to be a lot of fun, so join us then. <laughs>